0: For cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith.
1: In the city of New Orleans, there are somewhere around 20 freestanding refrigerators on neighborhood sidewalks. They're plugged into power strips, some powered by generators. And they're often filled with food that's free
2: for the taking. I'm Melissa Hall, And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. We're your hosts for Gravy. Gravy.
3: Gravy.
4: Gravy.
5: A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories
2: of the changing American South. So, Melissa, here's today's question. What is the best way to offer aid and at the same time preserve the dignity of the receiver?
5: Hmm... I think mutual aid is the answer to that conundrum because, after all, mutual aid is the voluntary reciprocal exchange of resources and services for mutual benefit.
2: In other words, every member of the community benefits when all are fed. Right,
5: because mutuality erases the virtue of giving and the humility of receiving, and instead the mutual aid focus is on the health of the whole.
2: In most of the American South, there's no greater signifier of wealth and comfort than regular access to a well-stocked refrigerator. Sarah Holtz takes us
5: to the streets and the street refrigerators of New Orleans to see how one group is keeping the city fed.
1: Last fall, I opened up a fridge on the sidewalk in the St. Rock neighborhood and found half a dozen Satsumas. Peppers, squash, cold drinks, and a stack of takeout containers from a nearby restaurant. Each one of these appliances was a gift to New Orleans Community Fridges, a group that formed early in the pandemic. Sarah Robbins Breen is one of the organizers.
4: We started hearing about the fridges being set up in New York and LA and just in kind of those major metropolitan areas and got together with some friends. And we realized maybe a month into it that we all were from food service and just, you know, are people who think about food a lot and food waste and food insecurity. So we were like, let's see if we can start this here. And we put up one, a friend who also is in food service. We convinced her to let us put the fridge in front of her house.
1: One fridge became two. And suddenly, Sarah and her co-organizers had created a mutual aid society. Mutual aid has a deep history in the U.S., Beginning in the late 1700s, social aid clubs, settlement houses, and fraternal organizations were established within predominantly Black, immigrant, and working-class communities. They provided support to individuals who lacked the means or governmental assistance to pay for medical care or bury their dead. New Orleans in particular once had at least 135 all-Black mutual aid societies, and a third of them were created by and for Black women. Mutual aid was built on the fundamental idea of solidarity, not charity. Today, New Orleans Community Fridges has an online map and an Instagram account that residents can tag whenever they add a gallon of milk, a Tupperware container full of leftovers, or something else to their nearby fridge. I met Sarah at her friend Destiny Gorham's house. Destiny lives in Pigeon Town, a residential neighborhood in New Orleans's 17th Ward. In August 2020, she became one of the early fridge hosts.
3: We were uh, dealing with hearing the ice maker running, and it started making this ka-chunk-a-chunk noise, and we were in the position where we could afford a new refrigerator, and so we decided to take the old refrigerator that was still working and install it on the curb. From there...
1: Destiny began putting her extra food in the fridge and encouraging her friends and neighbors to do the same.
3: And so that's how it initially started getting filled. And then as more and more people in the neighborhood started utilizing it, um, we had people from restaurants putting in the, the leftover staff meals and things like that. And it snowballed pretty significantly.
1: Destiny told me she pays an extra $20 per month in electricity. And her only wish is that she could somehow convince neighbors not to stand in front of the open fridge in the summer months. You may also be asking yourself whether folks were concerned about germs or spoiled food when the first community fridges popped up. Destiny remembered there was a prolonged discussion on her neighborhood listserv about food safety and liability. On the other hand, the people who were taking food from the fridges expressed no concern, which she says speaks to the level of need over the last two years. Across town, in the 7th Ward, Tanaj Jackson's fridge has a similar origin story. In the fall of 2020, after realizing that folks in her neighborhood were looking for food, she put a rack out on her sidewalk and lined up some canned goods.
6: We just started noticing people like going through our trash. Our neighbors told us, they were like, yeah, sometimes people might knock on your door, ask you for money. And so that was kind of just like my only solution. I was like, well, I have all these canned goods from when I was house-sitting.
1: As the early months of the pandemic dragged on, Tanaj says that plugging in her own community fridge felt like the logical next step.
6: I was like, what else do I have to do except learn how to make bread and start preparing for the zombie apocalypse? Like, no kidding, like watching The Walking Dead was like, okay, I've been preparing for this for months. Um, But yeah, there was no point in like keeping all this stuff for what if. It was like, no, people are hungry now. So just put it out and disappeared within hours, if that long.
1: Often, mutual aid groups are formed by friends to serve friends, making them rather insular by definition. The community fridge model is an effort to be more inclusive. It started with a small group of food justice activists. But as I kept asking folks I know across the city if they had put food in or taken food out of a fridge on the sidewalk, I learned that they were becoming common knowledge. Tim Vogel, for example, is a radio station director who lives by Link Pontchartrain. He's made it a habit over the past year to drop off leftovers at a community fridge in Mid-City, a few miles from his house. For him, it all started with a turducken.
7: My mother-in-law's partner, uh, who is vegan, which makes this even funnier, but she she knows that I like to cook and bought me a turducken. It, it's, it's all deboned, so it's like all meat, but it's like turkey wrapping around some sausage stuffing, wrapping around some chicken, more sausage stuffing, duck, and more stuffing. And it's all like tied together. And it was it was 20 pounds.
1: With one vegan and two small children at the table, leftovers were a foregone conclusion.
7: Now I'm looking, I'm like, what am I gonna do with this 18 pounds of turducken? Like, it's just staring me in the face. And like a lot of people, you know, we get takeout all the time um, and we keep the little containers. And I'm looking at that and I was like, you know what, like, I know these things exist, like, I'm just going to give this away to people.
1: For Tim, mutual aid isn't an elaborate project. It's just common sense.
7: I'm not like, I haven't taken this on as like a crusade. Like, I'm just like doing a part. I mean, if, you know, if everybody did like a part like three times a year, you know what I mean? Like do what I do three times a year and like there'd be a lot of food out there for a lot of people, I think.
1: It helps that community fridges generally play better in New Orleans than they might in other cities. I lived there for years myself. And it's fair to say that the sight of a freestanding fridge on a city sidewalk isn't so out of the ordinary when you could pass someone playing a washboard or decorating a pothole with Mardi Gras beads on the same block. Most of the fridges are located in middle-class neighborhoods where you won't find many tourists. Still, Sarah told me that it took about a year for many New Orleanians to get used to the presence of the community fridges and to grasp what they mean. Free food for anyone. No questions asked.
4: If you never experienced food insecurity or you have never had a moment when you don't know where your next meal is coming from you might look at someone and say hey they just took seven plates but in reality it's like that person is probably just bringing them for today tomorrow and their family that that's seven plates right there you know like I've watched a family take most of what's in a fridge and that's what a family needs so it's That's also been a process of changing people's mindsets about when you see someone taking something, you don't know what anyone's going through.
1: Making mutual aid visible also allows for a broader view of who needs help, says Destiny.
3: It's not just for people who are food insecure. It's for people who have had a long day. It's for the mom who forgot to pick up that one thing at the grocery store and her kid was screaming. And so if you can stop and pick up a quart of milk at the community fridge instead of having to go all the way back to the store, then that's great. And that's just as valid as somebody who ran out of food stamps that month.
2: When we come back, we'll hear how the community fridges have weathered multiple storms.
5: We'll also meet another mutual aid organizer who's transforming local restaurants into first responders. But first... Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And tell them Gravy Said Hey! Travel the highways to Loretto, Kentucky, and you'll find the Makers Mark Distillery. A national historic landmark, the distillery welcomes visitors from all over the world to experience bourbon the way the Samuels family intended. The bourbon was created by Bill Samuels Sr., but the distillery in the bottle with each bottle hand-dipped in that iconic red wax, was the brainchild of his wife, Margie Samuels. Today, Margie and Bill's grandson, Rob, runs a distillery and invites everyone to stop by and experience a home place of Maker's Mark just the way his grandparents had, with friends and great bourbon. For their dedication to the craft of quality bourbon making and their support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank them. Maker's Mark crafts bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way.
1: 2020 was already a tough year for just about everyone, and then came hurricane season on the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Laura made landfall near Cameron, Louisiana in August of that year as a Category 4 storm. Suddenly, there were thousands more people in South Louisiana who needed food.
3: That was, I think, really a turning point for the community fridges because there were all of these plates that they were preparing for people who were evacuated to New Orleans. And that's something that doesn't really happen very often, that people evacuate to New Orleans. It's usually from New Orleans, right? Um, And people weren't eating all of the food that was being prepared for the evacuees, and it wasn't going to the right place.
1: That's Destiny again. And she's referring to large outside charities that come to New Orleans after hurricanes to distribute food without knowing who needs what most. More about that later.
3: And so there was this massive push of people that that started picking up the plates and redistributing them around the city, putting them in community fridges. And that was, I think, for a lot of people, the moment when they realized that it's a food access point for anybody who needs it.
1: A year later, almost to the day, Hurricane Ida battered South Louisiana. It was the second strongest storm ever in the state, behind Hurricane Katrina. The worst storms always descend on the inferno that is late summer in New Orleans, what locals call the oppressive soup. So having access to a cold drink or fresh fruit was everything over the 10-day power outages that followed Hurricane Ida. Destiny's family didn't evacuate, deciding instead to power her community fridge with a generator and share food with around 40 friends and strangers.
3: I was cooking up lots of food on our our propane grill. I just figured I have a side burner. It'll be great if there's a hurricane. And it's, uh, it's a little harder to cook on that than I thought that it would be, but I hit the point that I was successfully making scrambled eggs every morning for everybody.
1: Of course, refrigerators need electricity. The massive power outages that followed Hurricane Ida tested the limits of the community fridges. When hurricanes wipe out the electrical grid, Residents have to rely on generous neighbors or friends who have a generator. Some New Orleanians have figured out another workaround, solar panels. Devin DeWolf is one of those people. He's an educator, artist, and co-founder of the Crew of Red Beans, a Mardi Gras walking parade. In the early days of the pandemic, they established a mutual aid effort called Feed the Frontline. They purchased and delivered some 100,000 restaurant meals to staff at New Orleans hospitals. In addition to feeding the frontline medical workers, the effort generated desperately needed revenue for the city's struggling restaurants. Later that year, they followed up with Feed the Second Line, a project that provides groceries and prepared meals to musicians and other culture bearers. Devin and his wife, Annalise, who's an ER doctor, were as ready as they could be for Hurricane Ida. They live in a house topped with solar panels.
8: When Hurricane Ida hit, it was Sunday morning. Um, My wife was scheduled to work a night shift on Saturday night. So she basically got off of work right before the hurricane arrived, which meant that we couldn't evacuate. Um, So we hunkered down. But us being here, uh, not evacuating, was really interesting because I could basically assist my neighbors immediately because I was the only person that had power.
1: Devin's house became a neighborhood hub while the city was dark
8: so some of the um, initial things that are really important for people are being able to charge your cell phone because that's literally the only means of you know connecting to the outside world that people have after a hurricane so we had a charging station on my porch that 200 to 300 people used Um, one of my neighbors has an oxygen machine that he needs we hooked it up with an extension cord Another elderly neighbor in the back, um, I hooked up his refrigerator during the daylight hours when I had lots of solar. I could provide food for people because I, you know, had a refrigerator and a freezer that was fully stocked.
1: Right then and there, Devin hatched an idea to create a network of solar-powered first responders, as he calls them. Not everyone can afford to put solar panels on their house. And you also need a solar battery to keep things running, which is a significant extra cost. Devin figured that if he could raise enough money to provide solar panels and batteries to restaurants, they would be in the best position to help their neighbors when the power goes out. After all, restaurants have ingredients on hand, refrigerators and freezers, and a place to cook and serve meals.
8: We could basically give each restaurant the tools to be self-sufficient so that the next hurricane they can serve their immediate community. And instead of, you know, 15 feeding centers around the city that offer cooling, we could have hundreds of them.
1: His new project is called Get Lit, Stay Lit, and it's a collaboration with a recycling organization called Glass Half Full NOLA. Devin is focused on restaurants in neighborhoods with higher rates of poverty, like the 7th and 9th wards, as those New Orleanians are most vulnerable during storms and less able to evacuate. In other words, they're the very residents most likely to need food aid in a power outage. There's an environmental benefit to the project as well. Spoiled food contributes to global warming. In South Louisiana, already faces a slew of environmental crises, including severe industrial pollution and coastal land loss. Organic waste decomposes and releases methane, a greenhouse gas that's even more damaging than carbon dioxide.
8: Uh, A small, mid-sized restaurant can have 2,000 pounds of food. Easy. Go to waste. A literal ton of food. Now there's 1,400 restaurants in my city. So one ton times 1,400 equals a bazillion giant amount of methane.
1: According to the EPA, the emissions from food waste will remain in the atmosphere for centuries. Devin has identified the first restaurant he's going to convert to solar, Red Rooster a to-go restaurant serving po'boys and plate lunches that's been in Central City for 45 years. Their solar panels will be connected to a microgrid, which means they'll run self-sufficiently and independently of the electrical grid during storms. His main takeaway from Hurricane Ida? As New Orleans continues to face an onslaught of storms and other disasters, the community will be more prepared if aid is organized locally.
8: The biggest thing that I've learned is that um, things need to be as local as possible. We are the ones that care the most about our community and every single community is basically the same way. Like if we get hit with a hurricane, you know, nobody's going to help our city like we will, the people that live here.
1: Like Destiny, Devon's reacting in particular to large charitable organizations that come in from other states to assist with disaster relief. These operations may not have community contacts or deep knowledge of the realities on the ground.
8: There's a lot of food waste that occurs when outside groups come in and try to feed people. So they say, oh, we made a pan of food and we brought it to this location. And then we assume that people ate it, but actually sometimes nobody eats it. And I've seen pans of food just like in the garbage that were, you know, basically thrown away because actually the food's not culturally relevant. Or actually, people are sick and tired of eating grits for four days in a row, and they don't want them anymore.
1: By building up mutual aid, by the people, for the people, New Orleanians will have greater self-determination, says Devin.
8: That's the way to, I think, ensure that people are treated with as much dignity as possible, and that the money stays in the community, which is really important. There's a lot of disaster profiteers out there, and any time that the money flows outside of the community, it's not really doing as much good as it could if it stayed in the community.
1: Similarly, when I first met Sarah from New Orleans Community Fridges, she made it clear that their mutual aid project had a larger political agenda, one aimed at dismantling systems she sees as oppressive.
4: You know, if our goal is to disrupt capitalism so there is no food waste that everybody gets fed, you know, it's like wait, what, this is free? You know, it's, I think it is really, really important that, you know, we continue to do this work just to show people that like, we can change the way these structures work. And like, if restaurants can, instead of throwing the food away, put it in the fridge, if if film sets can just put it in the fridge, you know, like when there's so many people who need food in this city.
1: It's true, by operating outside of a formal nonprofit structure, Mutual aid efforts can meet the needs of the community without institutional rules and regulations. Tanaj pointed out that issues like hunger can make us feel powerless. But stashing a Tupperware container full of red beans and rice in a community fridge does help in a tangible way.
6: I think the most important thing to take away is that it is an everyday thing. Like, there's, like, nobody in this room or elsewhere is going to solve hunger alone. Like, it's a much bigger issue, but, like, every single day we can do something.
1: Tanaj, Sarah, Destiny, and I sat around Destiny's living room for a while after that. And our conversation about the fridges would inevitably lead to a tangent and back to the fridges again.
4: I know, I feel like my friends are always like, can we talk about something that's not the (laughs) fridges?
1: Sarah's group plans to disband in the near future so that the community fridges can become truly cooperative and self-sustaining, putting the future of the fridges in the hands of neighbors. Here's Tanaj
6: one more time. It's a lot of relationships being built just out of this idea of community that should have always existed, really. Like my favorite place in my mom's house, I'm like, I'm going to go sit in the kitchen. (laughs) And that's kind of what the fridge outside of our house has become. Gravy was reported and
2: produced by Sarah Holtz. We wish her grandmother a very happy 93rd birthday today. Happy birthday, Grandma! Special thanks to Callie Rubbins Breen and Melissa Martin.
5: We thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music.
2: The publisher for Gravy and all other SFA media is Mary Beth Lassiter. Additional editing by Olivia Terenzio. And thanks to Katie King, our fact checker.
5: Visit SouthernFoodways.org to make a donation. Your dollars fund our good work.
2: And while you've got your phone in your hand, download our SFA Stories app, underwritten by Tabasco, and let SFA be your guide as you explore the South. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Past the gravy boat, there's plenty to go around.